Here's the thing. If you want to look after your brain, you need to look after your wallet. It's a sad fact of life. But another sad fact of life is most people don't know how to build long-term wealth. Do you know how to invest, optimize your pension, get a pay rise, all the big stuff? Most people in the UK don't because we're not taught about money. So we're launching a podcast to give people the financial education they wish they'd had. It's called Making Money, and it will take you on a journey to help you build wealth so you can live the life you want. The first step on this journey is figuring out your relationship with money. This is our episode one, which is what I'm going to play for you now. If you like this episode and want to learn more, please hit subscribe to Making Money in your podcast app because this is the Brain Care feed, so you're not going to see the next one. We hope this podcast helps you create a better financial future. So I've got a question for you. Would you like to be wealthier? I mean, I'm sure we all would, right? But how do you get there? What are the steps you should take? Money is such an emotionally complicated, but also jargon-filled area. This is Making Money from Kindling Media. I'm Damo. I quit my job in finance to start a YouTube channel, teaching people about money. And now I'm starting this podcast with my mate T. Yeah. This is my I don't know what's going on buzzer so if there's any He's going to be hitting that lot. I'm going to be smashing that whenever we're talking about anything technical The premise is simple me and T will be joined most weeks by a guest everyone from financial experts the Bank of England and every so often a celebrity to talk about the big things from mortgages pensions even getting pay rises all the way down to the psychology of money People have a mental block. They're like, oh no, that's got to be harder because it's finance. But just to do the nuts and bolts is no harder than learning how to drive a car. Get out of the mindset that you have to be rich to invest. Using their experience, we're going to lay out in front of you the steps you need to take to build long-term wealth. I honestly think it isn't that complicated, but because of a lack of education, many of us feel that money is just this intimidating topic. I know from first-hand experience how damaging that can be for your life. This is the financial education I wish I'd had. And really, the only thing standing between you and being that person who is good with money is what's between your ears. Yeah, and you, you as which I think your refreshing message is, you were one of those people, you know, and yeah. now, now you work for the Financial Times, do you know what I mean? And they might find out. <laughs> <laughs> so, where do we start? Look, I know it's not an easy thing to do, but we need to be honest about our relationship with money. So for episode one, we're speaking to the person you just heard making us laugh, the consumer editor at the Financial Times and author of the book, What They Don't Teach You About Money, Claire Barrett. We see this as the starting point and we think you're probably one of the most qualified people in the country to have that conversation. Wow. I mean, well, if we- I'm if, flattered. <laughs> if we look at your resume, you're an editor at the FT, you're the host of the Money Clinic on the FT podcast and you're part of the Lorraine Saver Squad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that has been amazing. I've been doing that for about a year now. Um, I'm on ITV Lorraine every Wednesday morning with Lorraine and everyone always asks, what's Lorraine really what's like? She like? She's exactly the same. She? She's exactly the same. It's maybe possibly slightly more Glaswegian, off camera. But no, she's she's a really wonderful caring person and oh. I think that that's why they want to do more finance because they know that everyone who is watching is just terrified by the cost of living crisis. People who've never been in trouble financially before all of a sudden are finding that they can't make ends meet. Well, I think you're always on the pulse. Like I always think your content's really timely. And, you know, as, some, as, a, as a YouTuber, I'm always looking for like what's going on. And I find that 
you you hit that quite well and uh, you know it's it's always reassuring content why do you think we have this issue with money because what you're essentially saying is there's a middle class here that have been dragged into the cost of living crisis and now they're struggling and they're unprepared for that mm. why do you think we're unprepared well they might not necessarily be middle class it could be middle earners yeah. um of any kind and i think the, the classic thing is is that you've had your salary every month you haven't really had to formally budget or look at things you've kind of had this sense of like i know where i am but I think if there was one silver lining of the pandemic, although I kind of hesitate to call it that, is that it has forced everyone to look a lot more closely at their finances, where I think we've been very blasé in the past, not just about day-to-day spending, but the bigger questions like pensions. Everyone hears the word pensions and just goes, or goals, savings goals, achieving the milestones that, that, that you want to in the future, buying a property. Lots of people have just abandoned that because house prices have just got so out of control. But if we can get a positive out of this and say, okay, times are tough at the moment, but we're going to learn to focus more on our finance. We're going to give ourselves some time to educate ourselves about money using all of the amazing, free, useful resources that there are to do that and get to a better place. When things do start to get better, when the economy turns around, please God it will, then hopefully we'll carry that knowledge forward for the rest of our lives and it will really transform our future. Yeah. So, you know, getting getting started, as you say, and it could be this a silver lining in the future where it's inspired a lot of people to address an issue that if if we kept going would, would be bad in terms of pension savings and the statistics there. So your book, the, the one thing that I love about it is you... Because I think we think of money and we think of it as like a, a math problem. You yeah. you talk about it as a personality kind of problem, not a problem, but the, you, you talk about it's the, emotional. Human, the human element, which yeah. I think is, that's the place to start, isn't it? It's kind of like, what personality am I? What is my relationship with money? Because mm. we all have different relationships. Can I ask you, what what's your money personality, you know? Okay, well, I feel like I should issue a small... A small caveat. So I'm not the first person to have come up with this idea of yeah, yeah. a financial personality. And I kind of hesitated a bit before putting it in the book, but I just find it such a useful way of being able to talk objectively um, about maybe bad habits or faults or things that we think we could improve without kind of turning the spotlight too far on ourselves. So of the different money personalities I list in the book, I I do say it's a bit of a Venn diagram. I reckon I'm probably about 70% goblin, um, which is the classic kind of hoarder of money. I grew up in a situation where, um, despite what my voice might sound like, there wasn't much money around um, when when I was growing up. And when money came in, it had to be eked out. It was not there to be wasted. And certainly um, when I started to earn my own money as a as a teenager, I realised quite quickly that it doesn't go very far. So I've definitely got that kind of hoarder mentality. In the past, that's led me to keep far too much money in, in cash savings. Um, everyone needs an emergency fund, but there's a limit to how much emergency cash you need. And I was very scared of taking risks with um, with with that money. So I was late to investing. Very much um, a fan of investing now and feel good about it because I know if I look at my cash flow, I look at the money I've got coming in every month, I look at how the investments are building up over time. I'm comfortable with the fact that the stock market can can go up and down 
and that my cash isn't just being eaten away yeah. by by inflation, which is what's happening to lots of goblins um, at the moment. And that's quite an uncomfortable feeling because you think that you're not taking risks by keeping a lot of money in cash. But in fact, that in itself, um, if you've got too much um, cash, is a big risk. So that's one of the financial personalities. Controversially, one of the other financial personalities I feel as probably at least um, 20, 25% of my makeup is the spendy Wendy. Now I spent ages trying to find a man's name that rhymed with, or that ended with Endy. Um, it's it's pretty hard. Yeah, it uh, is. <laughs> I guess I'm a spendy Wendy then. Spend yeah. Spencer? Spend is- so yeah, a, sp- a, spend- <laughs> a, sp- a Spenny Spencer, that's great. Yeah. So the classic thing with somebody who is a spender is that their desire to own a particular object, it's not based on um, their needs, it's based on their wants. And crucially, when they get that object, whether it's trainers or um, a dress or you know a handbag, a new outfit, whatever the thing is, it doesn't really scratch that itch for them. They quickly move on to the next thing. It's all about the instance of of spending the money, making themselves feel good, but that feeling is very fleeting. But the one lever that we can pull is getting in touch with emotionally, what is it that is driving us to to spend? Is it a status thing? Is it a social anxiety thing? Is it that we're buying gifts and being a person who gives lavish gifts when that's something that's going to get us into debt? Um, All kinds of reasons might be behind this. One of the personality traits of the goblin is that, you know, they do hold on to their money too tightly, as Vicky Raynal, who's the psychologist who I interviewed for the for the book, says. And like for some people, as bizarre as it may sound, not being able to spend money is a problem. Mm. And you might think, like, who are these people? But maybe they've had like a trauma yeah. um in in their life. Maybe they've been brought up in a household environment where they've been told, you know, it's wrong to um, to to spend money on yourself. You know, you shouldn't treat yourself to um, certain things, and it's really really difficult to break out of these habits and behaviours that have kind of been locked into our minds by our parents or the people who've brought us up. Especially, a really shocking fact, um, which is in my book, it's in lots of other books as well, is that your attitude to money as an adult is largely set by the age of seven terrifying. years old. It's absolutely terrifying. And that's why um, on Money Clinic podcast, one of the things that we ask most of the guests is, what's your earliest money memory? Because often asking someone that can tell you an awful lot about their attitude to finances now. I mean, I don't know about- What's yours? Um, we'll do watching, awesome. watching my mum and dad, like I used to sneak downstairs um, and peer through the, the banisters and watch them because I knew that they were like up to something in, in the kitchen and they had all of the kind of budget out and the money. I mean, this was like the early 80s. So there was there was cash. They were counting out cash into envelopes, which is a method of budgeting that's yeah. like making a massive comeback. Yeah. Cash stuffing, they call it now. Yeah. Um, but it was just watching them carefully um, dealing with their finances together. And the fact it was all of my dad's money because he worked and my mum was a housewife, as they were called back then. Um, and so she was very much having an equal say, even though it was the money that he had earned and where it was going. And it was all being put into envelopes. So some for the holiday, some for this, some for the bills. 
and stuffed into the pages of this huge like cookery book that she used to keep on the shelf. So I knew where the money was. And the question that everyone always asked me was like, did you ever steal any? <laughs> the answer was no. I would, I would never have, um, I would have been far too scared. And she would have known, you know, as my mum was like on it, um, that, that something was missing. But th maybe that memory has instilled into me that being careful with money is something that you've got to make time for. Um, is something that you've got to share the burden with, with your partner. Um, and also that you've got to feel comfortable making decisions equally. Um, I mean, I earn a lot more money than my partner does. This is something that I discuss in the book. It's quite common. Um, you know, you're never going to get two people who are exactly the same financially. One might come from a wealthier background. And it changes or a poorer over time. Background. Exactly. But, you know, family circumstances can can change in a, in, in a heartbeat. So, You've got to, you know, I've always strived to have that, um, you know, in, in my relationships, whether with friends or with romantic partners, that there is this degree of, of, of honesty um, and acceptance rather than a sort of show-offy status, flashy, mm. I've got a better um, car than you have, that kind of stuff. So, And I think that really kind of informs how I'm grounded financially as a as a person, sorry, that was a very long answer. No, I it. <laughs> What's your first money memory? Come on. Um, my parents were always like, you need to know the value of money. So if I wanted to buy something, they, from like a young age, they're always like, in the summer, do work experience. Don't just play around so you can know the value mm. of money or do chores, like wash the dishes, clean the car, set the table. Slippery slope, paying yeah. children for chores. <laughs> yeah, but my first actual memory was probably going to like summer camp. Okay. Uh, like, you know, go to like sports camp for like, yeah two or three weeks in the summer. And obviously you get like uh, lunch money every day. So I think my dad, the first day my dad gave me 20 pounds and I was like, way. So I spent the whole thing. And then the next day I was like, dad, I'm going back to camp. I need some more money. He's like, I gave you 20 pounds yesterday. What happened to him? I'm like, I spent it. He's like, well, you don't get any more today. And I was like, but he's like, you can take some food from home. And obviously there's like ice cream, there's sweets, there's like burgers. So I wanted all the stuff at the camp. So then the whole like, for, it was five pounds a day I was meant to have, but I spent the whole 20 pounds on the first day. So then I learned <laughs> after like every, the next three days I had to take my own packed lunch. And I was really sad. So then I was like, okay, next week I'm going to spread it out. And that's kind of when I first learned about budgeting. And then when I started getting paid, I took none of that on board. And just, <laughs> we're going out. So um, yeah, I'm still, I'm still working on budgeting, but that was my first memory. And what about I started you? how I meant to go on, spend it all quickly and then worry about it later. Mine. So I used to, cause my mom was a single parent. So I would go to work with her when I was off school and they used to pay me to be quiet. They call them sponsored silences. A sponsored silence. Yeah. This is from about the age of three or four. So they were basically paying me a quid to shut up for an hour. Cause I'd, Funnily enough, I like to talk. Well, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I take from that, but all I'm going to say is I now earn money from talking about money. So look at me now. <laughs> yeah. Let's pay you new. It's come yeah. circle. <laughs> sponsored that. silence. Yeah, sponsored silence. Mm. I remember sponsored silences that from a young amazing. age. It's pretty brutal, really, thinking about it. <laughs> but you think people can change personalities? Oh, God, yes. I feel like I yeah. definitely did because I used to have a credit card and then. I went off in the deep end and then once I paid off, I said, never again. I don't care if it's good for your credit rating. I said, I, I just can't be trusted with a credit card. I don't want to be, I have no overdraft, no credit card. And I, I think from that day, my life finances drastically improved. It's so, probably really good for you to, yeah. to have that Bit of trauma. Ex experience. Yeah, it, you was. Know. it was in university. Yeah. And then after yeah. university, I graduated. Never again will I have overdraft or credit card. I decided so. But I think everyone makes mistakes. Sometimes we make the same mistake 
again and again and again, you know, in life, with money, with relationships, whatever. But the key thing is, is that you learn from it and you move on. And also you forgive yourself because there's so much shame attached to money. And that's one of the reasons we don't talk about it because we don't want to admit that we don't know. We don't want to admit that we're a bit kind of lacking in knowledge or that we've been a bit silly and we've spent too much money on stuff. We feel like idiots. So we just bottle it all up. And I think that's why it's so wonderful that you know, you're on YouTube, there are places where people can go on social media, like on their own to learn about this without having to talk to someone, because that could be the precursor to a real life conversation where they say, you know, to their best friend or their mum, or maybe even a, a you know, a counsellor, you know what, I need some help because that's totally okay. And money is such a emotionally complicated, but also jargon filled yeah. area we are intimidated and we do need a bit of a helping hand and there's nothing wrong with asking that. And it's absolutely possible for the leopard to, to change their spots. And, you know, the spendy Wendy could become a spreadsheet slave, which is one of the other personalities. Somebody who's really on it with budgeting, but equally you don't want to be a hundred percent spreadsheet slave because then you wouldn't have any fun. So you have to take and decide what to take and decide what to leave from, from, from each of these. And when you're in a position where you feel like you can use your money as a tool um, and be rational and be effective and not let your emotions force you into making decisions where you're in a situation where you don't really know what you're doing. I can empathize with all of that so much because when I came out of uni, I would say that I was money focused. Mm. I think the money script would be that I was a worshiper of money. So I always thought that more money would make me happier. Uh, you know, mm. that, that that was the answer. Those kind of people have a tendency to then get into revolving credit card debt because they use money short term that they don't have. So I then had to deal with this, the motion of, I see myself as someone who is driven towards money, but I've actually got myself into a real mess. And then I went over to a spreadsheet slave as a result of that, which was probably a positive but then probably spent the next decade not do, do living my life mm. because I was so obsessed with never being like that again. So it's like I swung the other way and it's yeah. only now that I'm finding balance. And I think you have to really be honest with yourself about your consumption of money and how you approach it and the things you've done wrong to yeah. be able to kind of hone in your own personality, if that makes sense. Yeah. You have to forgive yourself. Yeah, and, this is true. And and think this is a lesson. I've learned it the hard way, but nevertheless, I've, I've learned it. And some people said to me, why would you admit in this book that you make mistakes? Because I talk about a lot of, a lot of mistakes. You know, I went through a period um, of several months when I'd finished uni and I was looking for a job where I just stopped opening the post because the, you know, I had what I called a good job, a get out of debt job. Um, so I was doing fairly soulless um, admin for a local council. I was trying to get a break in journalism, which is really, really hard. Um, it doesn't matter how good or how talented you might be. Like, There's only so many jobs. getting an opening. Um, a lot of the time you've got to work for free. And I, you know, I had to work. I couldn't afford to just work for free somewhere as an intern for three months. Fortunately, that seems to be changing um, a lot more now. But I was just in denial about the financial situation I was in. And the easiest thing to do was just to not open the post. And then I ended up getting a letter from a debt collector because I'd taken my eye off the ball. The full story is, is in the book. But I think it's really important for people who are perceived 
um, as money experts to admit that we have made 100%. mistakes because everyone makes it's mistakes. Really relatable. Social media is brilliant for democratizing finance and getting good ideas um, out there and inspiring people, but it also makes us compare ourselves to others, and that can be really self defeatist. Like I'll never be as good. Uh, uh, I'll never be as good with my money as as, as he is, or I'll never have as cool trainers. Um, <laughs> you know, or I must buy this in order to be more like um, that person who's who's clearly a success. So I think it's really important for us to admit that, yeah, we're human beings. We get stuff wrong, um, but we can also change and, and get stuff right. And it's not a bad thing to ask for help. I think it's a sign of strength rather than a sign of weakness to ask for help. One of the saddest statistics in the whole book is about the time when I spent a day um, listening into calls and um, working with people in a debt advice centre. Mm -hmm. And I found out from that that people typically wait well over a year um, when they're in problem debt before they actually pick up the phone and say, I need help. They'll wait until the, the, you know, the, the wolves are at yeah. the door. There's like literally nowhere else to turn. And I think, okay, it's bad enough now. I can um, phone those people because I don't have any other option. Whereas if they had phoned at the beginning of their debt problems, they could have had a much better set of options and avoided a year of just living with like that mental health overload of stress from not knowing how they're going to claw their way out of a situation. And that is just something that's really chilling. I went for, I went for a debt service for five years and I can tell you this, that that happens at scale. Everyone only calls when they're, like you say, the wolves are at the door and they're really desperate. But seeking the advice early on means you can you can combat that. And address the behaviors as well, like the, the spending behaviors and stuff. I really do love this message of like, own up to your failures, look at them and say like, this is what I've done wrong in the past. That's okay. We can fix that going forwards. You call it sorting your financial shit out, <laughs> right? which I think is a, a beautiful way of putting it. Yeah, penguin so, are a bit kind of like, are yeah, you sure? Put it in the book. That guy, you know, the art of not giving an F. He, I yeah. mean, he sold a lot of books with a swear word on, didn't he? And yeah. isn't on the cover, so I think it's fine. No, there's an asterisk. I think in the audiobook version, they've put in a, they've put in a bleep. Really? But, um, it's but, only an S-bomb. It's, it, it's not the F. Well, yeah. But the thing is, it is, it is how I talk and it is what I say. And like one of one of the things, I think it is in the book, one of the things that helped me sort out my finances was like having nice stationery. And that is a really girly thing to admit. But like, if you're going to be surrounded by numbers and bills, you know, having a Hello Kitty folder that you put it all in, yeah. you know, it might make you feel a bit more kind of like, oh, this is something I can do. And like, I don't have a Hello Kitty one anymore. I've got various different sort of coloured fruits um, and, yeah. and things. I've got like dragon fruit for um, my stocks and shares ISA. You know, it's really, it's really, really silly. And, you know, and post-it notes and to-do lists and just, you know, any way that you can can think of to organise your yourself because like organisation really is the, the, big, the big rule of this. So I've also got a really big um, box file with like hanging files in it for what I've labelled on the outside, financial shit. <laughs> <laughs> Did you bleep? The, and the... for each of my <laughs> stepchildren, I've got a little file for them, like Kelly's financial shit, <laughs> Jack's financial shit. Gabriel's um, financial yeah. shit. Yeah. My, my two-month-old financial shit. Yeah, yeah I yeah. know. And the thing is, the financial shit, it kind of accumulates um, throughout your life, like the older you get. But there could be... Um, savings um, accounts, documents, tax records, um, all of these 
things that you don't want to lose track of. And I think a lot of people have got like a lot of bits of paper floating around their house or in this age of email, a lot of PDFs that have never been downloaded. They don't have like a system um, for going through things. And I'm a big believer in trying to stay on top of the of the paperwork, having a list of financial shit to sort mm. um, and just kind of taking that sort of roll up the sleeves um, approach to, to to dealing with things. But it can be a really scary thing to do. So whatever you need to do to make it easy for yourself, whether that's having nice stationery or treating yourself to a coffee after you've done an hour of financial shit on a Saturday, um, you know, make it part of your routine and make time for finance. You know, we make time for all kinds of other appointments, like getting our nails done, going to the hairdressers, going to the gym, schedule it in say, right, I'm going to do, doesn't need to be long. could be half an hour a week. could be one hour a month, whatever you need, however um, simple or complicated your, your finances are and just stay on top of it. I think it becomes a pleasure over time. What was really scary for me when I had loads of unsecured debt with, you know, uh, priority debts as well um, was that it was terrifying to face up to it. Like you said, you wouldn't mm. open the mail, but then you you kind of, you get through that, you get through the negative and now it's investing. It's these other positive things and I love it. It's the best part of my month is getting paid, sitting down, firing all my money everywhere. So some because you've been through this journey of negativity to a positive mm. side, I, I think it's really good. And and also I feel calm yeah. after I've after I've done it. Like sometimes I think like, oh, I need to reconcile a load of payments and work out who's paid me and who hasn't, you know, the life of a freelancer. But once it's done, it's like, oh you've decluttered your life. Your yeah, you've decluttered <laughs> your life. Yeah. So speaking the decluttering of the life. So you have the the seven like steps and the first one mm. is, is is setting a goal um, yeah. which i think is you know the personality then it's a goal how, how do people know what kind of goal to set it's really really hard isn't it if you go and see a financial planner that's the first question they're asking you what are your goals in life and it stumps people because we never think about tomorrow next month next year 10 years 20 yeah, years yeah exactly in that kind of way we're sort of and especially at the moment because we're just firefighting with with money, with bills. Somebody asked me um, the other day, like, where do you see your career in five years time? Which is a classic kind of job interview question. And As you a just, freelancer, you're like, I just want to get paid next week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, just kind of like, oh, uh, don't really know. But we do need to take the time out to, to, to think about that. And also to recognize that we're not going to come up with the answers all in one go. Um, it, it's a process. So when you're thinking about setting a goal, I think what's really helpful is to sort of think of lots of mini goals, like not think like, you know, what's the ultimate, I want to be a billionaire, and, you know, <laughs> live in um, a hotel and, you know, have all of these um, supercars at, at, at my disposal. It's got, it's got to be realistic. It's got to be something you can work towards, but also it doesn't necessarily just concern money. Mm-hmm. It could also concern other aspects of self-improvement. Like you might have a really great job in the city earning a six-figure salary, but you might hate it. Um, And you might think, well, actually my goal is to become a teacher. You might think, well, actually my goal is to um, get out of the city. I think that hybrid working has opened up like all kinds of possibilities for people has made it easier in some cases for people to buy a house because they could conceivably go much further out 
of big cities like London and Manchester, and if they've only got to commute in um, once a week or once a fortnight, that's that's a kind of financial game changer mm -hmm. um, for them. And it's all about what you want to spend your time doing. I do a little equation um, on one page and encourage people to work out what their hourly rate is. Like if you're trading your time for money in a job, what are you getting back? And then once you know your number, how are you then going to feel about, about spending it? Like if you're working out that you're earning £75 a day after taxes, say, um, if you go out after work one night and blow £75 with a spendy-wendy friend um, on a nice dinner or some drinks or something, um, you know, was it worth working the whole day in order to blow it on that? And it might have been. Um, or you could have been invited around for dinner or something. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It but, makes you frame the decision in a, from a time perspective and an effort rather than... And then where the goal comes in is if you're thinking, right, so you've worked out what your big picture is and then you've got to work out how you want to how you want to get there, and it might be that you don't know what you want to spend the money on, but you think that you can probably um, save, let's say, two hundred pounds a month into a stocks and shares ISA, two hundred pounds a month into your workplace pension, whatever. And so then you've got what you're left with. If you then get to the end of the month and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to have to raid the savings here if I want to go out with, with the spendy wendies, because you've got the goal there and you're thinking, no, actually, the reason why I'm doing this ISA is because when I get to the age of 40, I want there to be enough money in there for me to hopefully buy a home or I'm saving up to go traveling for a year. You've defined an alternative to just sort of a better lifestyle spending it willy-nilly on on stuff. And I think for so many of us, you know, we're just stuck in this sort of doom loop of getting through the day, finishing work late, getting a takeaway uh, because we're on our way home and we don't have any food in or being rinsed in those supermarkets. You're telling her about my life. <laughs> like, like, my partner's always telling me stop buying takeaways, but anytime she's busy, I'm just like ordering. Like I, I think I do like three or three, three or four a week. And I'm like, it's a special occasion. It's Monday. It's a special occasion. It's Wednesday. and it's. Yeah. But then I, at the end of the week, I'm like, I've just bought four takeaways. I could have just yeah. gone to Sainsbury's and cooked food. But because I'm working, I'm like, oh, let me just finish this and then I'll just order the food so I don't have to stop. It's, yeah. Well, it's the, but it's, it adds up. Like, it's the, in the price of convenience. Yeah, the and price of convenience. Those supermarkets in railway stations, and they're like 20% more expensive yeah. than the normal supermarket. You know, there are so many traps that we fall into. I mean, I have to say, I hold my hands up. Many, many, many takeaways uh, were consumed as a result of writing this book because I was working full time. I was doing... Um, LVC, I was doing ITV. That's about you knowing your hourly rate again. You, yeah. You're probably framing that then from a perspective of there is a convenience element here. So, you know, yeah. I'm I'm so busy with work and my hourly rate is X that I can actually justify this takeaway because yeah. I'm writing a book on top of that, which is earning money. Because the price of the convenience yeah. is worth it. And if you are going to spend money on something, you know, make sure you enjoy it. Yeah. Um, but if you're just oh, doing it. I enjoy it, my takeaway. Yeah. I do enjoy my takeaway. I'm thinking about right now, actually. No, it's because it's I just had a kid. So literally since he's been it's born. It's an excuse for everything. It's, yeah. Know, it's, great. it's great. Since he's been born, like my takeaways have definitely gone up like 100% because it's like, oh, we've got to go shopping. You just don't have time anymore. Well, you've, you've lost time in your day. So you're like, oh, well, yeah. let's not go shopping. You've got to look after the baby. I'll just want to take it. The, so, fi the firefight. And, yeah. it, and it makes it harder to plan. And it and makes it harder because then you've got yeah. to pay for the baby as well. So it's, it's mm. just more expenses. You need a budget. I do. Which I is do. I really probably need a budget. The, the, you know, if the goal is the dream, the budget is the, the tool to get there in a way, isn't Definitely. it? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you think there's a good way of budgeting? I think that there are as many ways of budgeting as there are people. 
the good news is there are so many free um, or nearly free digital tools out there that will suit your kind of style of budgeting. Now, I can tell you about what I do to kick off with. So I give myself a certain amount of money per month and I load it onto um, a separate, I put it into a separate bank account. I've got it on a Starling card if we're allowed to mention them, Mm -hmm. but they are, I I do really like their app um, because it breaks down everything that you've spent the money on. So you you can look at it. It's on the first of the month, the money goes in and yes, sometimes I do go over and I have to transfer a bit more, but it's like a break on my spending. I know I've got this much. I can look at the balance every day. That's something that I struggled with as well for a long time, looking at my bank balance when I was younger. And it just makes me think, I'm not going to go to to Brett. I'm going to have the free coffee um, in the FT's office. It means I've got to get there five minutes earlier because there's always a long queue because it's free. Yeah. Um, but you know what? It's it's just a little nudge in the right direction. Technically, I could afford to go to Pret-a-Manger every bloody day mm. if I wanted to. But then it comes to the point of like, is that the best use of my money? Um, do I want to um, be that person who spends lots of money on something that doesn't really mean anything? Or in terms of my goals, do I want to buy a bigger house? Tick. Don't know if I'll get there or not. Uh, do I want to go on holiday um, to Scotland? Um, more than once a year with my family. Tick. Um, you know, do I want to go to Norfolk and go bird watching? Very into birds. I saw a cloud of siskins on the way here. Did that's you? why I was late. Ah, that's <laughs> I was so like, nice. Why didn't I bring my binoculars? Yeah, that's so good. Forget a podcast with some siskins. <laughs> yeah. <right now. laughs> that's it's so, so good. unusual to see. What's a siskin? Um, I was like, why do you feel like you know what a siskin is? I know what a siskin is. <laughs> what it's is a, a little green and um, yellow bird it's like a it's like a finch so they were eating i don't know what they're eating like a silver birch tree has some like seeds on it anyway i i I digress but i'm uh, i'm giving different bits of money different purposes so if it's been transferred onto my spending card then it can be spent i've also made that the default card on um websites um the one beginning with a um in, 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 in particular because often people this is where they mess up. You know, they've got like a credit card like, saved. Oh, I'll just put it on that one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't do buy now, pay later. Never. I've, I've never got into that. And, um, and, and and I don't I don't want to get into that. That's a habit I can afford to leave. Um, and the day that money goes into my bank account, money immediately goes mm. out again to cash savings, emergency savings. Like sometimes you need them, but you've got to top them up again. Um, stocks and shares ISA. Um, I pay a lot of money into my pension as well, partly because I started um, later than I than I should have done. And then I've got savings for um, my nephews and niece. I put a little bit of money aside for them um, as so well every month. Your payments into like eight to ten, or like seven to ten different yeah. accounts. Yeah, I mean, I I just find separation is a really good way of dealing with um, dealing with money. And the digital banks make it so easy for you, depending on which one you're with, you can even have a separate account number and sort code for accounts within your accounts. So 
you could have a bills account. You could put money into that. You could have um, a holiday fund. You can name them um, whatever you like. Uh, a little savings pot. I got one for my new yeah. car, like car. And then when I saved, I was like, yeah, I can buy my car now. Yeah. So, yeah you revolute. It, well. it just all helps you to get that mindset of, I'm not going to waste the money on this. I'm going to put it towards this. And it's going to take me several months to to get there. I mean, like one thing, like my youngest set of some, he probably struggles with money um, a bit more than the other two, partly because he's dyslexic. But I love talking to him about money because when the penny drops, it's just such an amazing moment. And I think I said to him once, like, just do a direct debit into a savings account for a hundred pounds a month. And he did it and he kind of forgot about it. And then he said, I've got 2000 pounds. And, <laughs> and it was like, it was a surprise because oh. you don't notice mm. a, um, small a small amount yeah. over time. And then when you come to actually think, Oh, you know, I, I have saved up um, and I have hit this goal. It's a great, it's a great feeling. And it's much better for, for us to do it that way around than to borrow the money. Like you said, you bought a car. Cars are so expensive. Oh, they break down. Especially when you break them like yeah. you do. Okay, I wrote one car off. One <laughs> car in my life I wrote it off. Okay, this these things happen. But what I like about the way you talk about budgeting is like when people talk to me, they're like, oh, you're so good with money. I'm like, no, I'm actually terrible with money, but I have systems in place that stop me being yeah. bad with it. If all my money just sat in my bank account, I will burn through it. You know, I'll have a mm. couple too many. Anyone would. And it just, I spend it like silly. My dad, Bob says, expenditure rises to me income. Lifestyle creep. Yeah, lifestyle it, yeah. creep. That's a, a good term. You've got um, a figure, a stat in your book. Is it like 27 pound a day or something? You talk about yeah. prep, you could spend that in a prep. <laughs> like I could have done lunch. Well, 27 yeah. pounds a day. Uh, uh, if you, if you did breakfast and lunch and coffee a few times. Ten thousand pounds a year or something. Yeah. Twenty seven pound a day. So if you yeah. if you go breakfast and lunch and you spend twenty seven quid, which is pretty doable in London or Manchester, pretty easy for me. I could do that in just lunch. That's ten k net gone. So that's yeah. if, if you're a high rate taxpayer, that's like losing twenty grand's worth of income almost. Or yeah, bit, you know, like yeah. in terms of what the time that you've had to give in just for all of and these lunch. small sums add up, and that's what really worries me about buy now pay later because you're looking at the small number. Uh, 30 pounds for four weeks instead of 120 pounds where you might think like oh i couldn't afford that but like 30 pounds oh yes and, and it's like the trick in in your mind but if you've signed up for like three or four different buy now pay laters maybe with different buy now pay later companies and like and so many more um people are trying to get into this buy now pay later game now i mean in the us like you know apple has got apple pay later coming later this year um because it is such a powerful um market to to be in it could even kill off the credit card yeah um in time it's been dressed up as a new thing but mm. when i worked in debt advice in 2011-12 companies like bright house were yes. so predatory with this behavior and it's like now apple are entering this space and it's been like this packaged as this new kind of way to pay but actually there's been an issue there and they Cat were the, catalog debt they as were well. the hardest like, companies to deal with yeah because they would just come and take your stuff so we say they're going to take your tv they're going to take your fridge they're going to take your sofa if we try and negotiate with them and they're charging you oh it's only 13 pound a week for the tv for five years but you end up paying four times what the tv was and stuff mm. yeah and th this is where the numeracy bit comes in because it's like it's basic maths and you think well could we add that up? It's like whenever I'm in the supermarket and you see prices of things that are allegedly on offer and I'm always- yeah, You said in your book, they all just lie about the price. Like, <laughs> they just say it's on sale like 50%. The, the, the trick is in the comparison yeah. that they give you. So um, I was in one of the supermarkets the other day 
And it said, this Prosecco was £10, um, but with your loyalty card, the special price is $7.99. And so you might think like, ooh, I can get this Prosecco for $7.99. But in the back of my head, I'm thinking, actually, that's quite expensive for Prosecco because there's another supermarket down the road where if you buy six bottles at once, you get 25% off and it's nicer Prosecco and it's cheaper. You just need to have like a, a shopping trolley. Um, I always buy things in bulk if I can. Um, especially booze. Yeah, especially, especially <laughs> booze. I always I put out a red alert on, yeah. my, on my Instagram. Whenever there's like any supermarket doing 25% off with six bottles of wine, that generally is quite a good discount. But buying in bulk does have its disadvantages, however, because if you open any cupboard in my house, um, you know, you're liable to get like hit on the head by a multi-pack of kitchen roll yeah. or something like that will come flying out. You talk about like basic math, so and everyone can do that. But do you think to be good with money, you need anything above, you know, the ability to add and subtract, essentially? I am living proof um, that not being good or not feeling that you're good at maths is not any barrier to um, being able to, to master your money or, in fact, work at the Financial Times. Although I will confess that I um, have very nice um, colleagues, Chris Giles in particular, who's the economics editor. I've learned like so much about economics from him because I never studied it in school. Some people are like really shocked. How can you not know anything about economics? Um, how did you not do it at university? And yet you're kind of like talking about these economic things on, on, on the telly. And I said, well, I've had to learn to understand it. But then that helps me to explain it better to an, an audience of people who also um, are coming at yeah, it from the, from the layman's yeah. perspective. So I'm often um, in the FT office saying to people, um, you know, could you just read this and see if you think it could be clearer or, you know, have I got this right? Does it make sense? Um, I'm always using my um, phone calculator to like double and triple check um, percentages um, and things like that, because you don't want to get something wrong. But equally, I'm, I've always been aware of the fact like I will get to the answer with maths but I won't be the fastest and I think when you're in a school maths lesson there's a lot of yeah who's the fastest? you know who's the fastest and you can think well oh I'm no good at this and we sort of say to ourselves I'm just rubbish and they're doing it with that some people doing it without yeah. calculating like, how did you just do that without a calculator yeah. so quickly yeah yeah I'm, I'm like writing 82 plus 75 and I'm like adding it up with so the table I totally think that like with money People shouldn't think like it's predestined. I'm either good with money or or bad with money. I mean, even people who are born into money can frankly be terrible. Yeah. Um, and, and, and in many cases are much worse than people who grew up with very little money because they're just used to spending, but they don't have the earnings power to, yeah. to, to back it up. So if you feel um, underconfident with numbers, then it all comes back to, to, to the mindset. Don't be intimidated. And really, the only thing standing between you um, and being that person who is good with money is what's between your ears. Yeah, and you, you as which I think your refreshing message is, you were one of those people, you know. And yeah. Now, now you work for the Financial Times. Do you know what I mean? And they might and, find out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they're not watching. And I think because it's it's actually quite simple once you get into it. It's about just facing up to it. Once once you're there, you realise this is not that big a deal in terms of time, effort, and complexity. You know. From today's episode, the, the takeaway would be, first of all, just forgive yourself for your past mistakes, but, but analyze them and say like, where mm. am I bad with money? Mm -hmm. Then set a goal and then use that goal to inform your budget and, and work towards it. I think it's like really actionable and simple, but it's life-changing if people actually sit down mm. and do that. 
and don't be afraid of starting small. Yeah. Like, especially with paying off debts, um, trying to save money in a cost of living crisis, you might only be able to save like five pounds a week and think, oh, is it even worth it? But it's like one, a reader from India um, wrote to me. I love the fact that Financial Times has like got readers everywhere. And she said, thrift is a muscle. And I just thought that was so good because it is, it's like, you know, the more you use it, the better you get at saying, you know what, I'm going to leave that clothes. I'm going to leave those clothes on the rail. Don't actually really need another jumper. I'm going to walk past the um, the the coffee shop, you know, I'm going to make two dinners and freeze one so that I've got a ready-made takeaway for when I'm what do you short on when, time. When people relapse, because I feel like I do really well for a month yeah. or a couple of weeks or two months and I'm saving, I'm saving and then like one weekend, one holiday and I just go and blow loads of my money and I'm like, why did I do that? But at the time I'm like, I'm on holiday, it doesn't matter. I'm like, I'm yeah. really hungry, I want this takeaway. And then, yeah. or oh, I want to go out for dinner tonight. And then I'm like, I really need to do that. So well, how do you, do you just then go, okay, I see I made the mistake again, but then yeah. you feel bad and you feel guilty, but then how I can, do you? I can only compare it to my never ending weight loss journey. And yeah, in January, I was really good. I did I, I did dry January. It helped that I had COVID and I was like really ill for <laughs> about 10 <laughs> days worth dry of it. January? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you know, I'm rocking this. This is this is great. You know, I'm having soup for my dinner. Um, you know, I'm not eating cheese. Cheese is my downfall. My goodness. Um, but yeah, and then you fall off the wagon um, and you do something that you kind of regret and you just got to pick yourself up again and say, right, tomorrow is another day. Um we start, we start from here. Consistency is the key. And you're not going to be brilliant every single day. You're not going to stick to your 1700 calorie budget on your, on your diet app. There are going to be some days where you do go over it, but if you can do it for like 17 days out of 31, that's better than nothing at all. And over time, like that thrift muscle, um, your resistance um, will, will hopefully get better. Start again, try and be as consistent as we can, but accept that we are human beings. You know, we're not going to be perfect. I say on the first page of the book, we do not admit perfectionists. Most perfect with his savings. No, I am not. You are. No, I am not. This guy's frugal as they no, come. No, I went, He's disciplined. I went, for, I went for a beer with a friend in Manchester oh, yeah. yesterday. Spent 200 quid. So, you know, on a yeah, beer, he's like, just like, one I mean, beer, <laughs> just have one beer. I was going to say, that must be a really, really large beer. Uh, I woke up in a hotel room like, where am I? So I am not. The one thing I'll say is, to to your point there, T, if you, if you allocate the money in the pots and you lock it away, and then over time you build up, you know, investments inside of an ice, what mm-hmm. they can do to transform your life. But you'll get to a point where you have those reckless nights, but you still have that ISA behind you, those investments, yeah. the other pots, and it'll be like... Oh, well, yeah, 200 quid. And now I've got a cut back. I can't have any takeaways, but that guilt's horrible. That guilt's horrible to carry that. You think like I've just saved all that time and now it's all gone. So you just need to maybe lock it But did you enjoy yourself though? I had a great time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to leave in the show notes a link to a budgeting tool because I think that's like the the practical thing. And you have your points around, you know, looking at your money problems and identifying that. But is uh, we like to ask guests at the end of the conversation, is is the one thing that you would say to people to go and away with, you know, like one message or actionable thing that they could do? I mean, I, w- I would say just, you know, forgive yourself. Forgive yourself if you've made mistakes in money. Leave the shame 
at the door and don't be um, that person who thinks I can't change. I can never do this. I could never save up enough money to buy a house in a in a million years. I mean, yes, yeah, some of these goals, they are scary. They are far away. But you've got to have a dream because if you don't, you're never going to have a, a dream come true, to quote the Muppets. And <laughs> I think that we need to just be a bit kinder yeah. to ourselves in life to, so the most to be thinking about. The most important thing I learned from you today that I will probably do is now when I get my paycheck, I put it in like three, two or three different places. Um, now I'm going to put it into like seven or eight different places. Good. Mattress. <laughs> Under the bed, in the safe, yeah. straight on the delivery wrap. And then I'm, no, I'm going to spread it out. I think that's a good idea. Just before you go, I wanted to summarise the key actions from today's episode. So the first thing you need to do is figure out your relationship with money. One of the ways to do that, as Claire said, is through your money personality. We've listed all the personalities from Claire's book in the show notes below. Just find the ones that relate to you. But honestly, the whole book is worth a read. Then figure out your goals and do a budget. Again, we've linked some helpful tools for you. In the next episode, we're going to answer that big question that you might be asking yourself now. Can anyone really get rich? If you want a summary of the key learnings and next steps, subscribe to our newsletter at makingmoney.email. I'm Damien Jordan, and I hosted this episode with my great mate, Tamena Kerelay. The episode was recorded and edited by Jack Hobbs. Music is by Felix Taylor, and it was produced by Ruth Edwards and then all brought together by Will Stolomon.